Welcome to Always and Forever, a One Tree Hill podcast where two lifelong friends and superfans analyze and dissect the greatest teen show from the early 2000s. This week we are discussing Are You True, the third episode of season one, which was written by Jennifer Cecile, directed by Michael Grossman, and originally aired on October 7th, 2003. Always and Forever is spoiler free, but stay tuned after the credits for a fully spoiled discussion because we simply can't contain ourselves. Somebody told me that this is the place where everything's better and everything's safe. Lucas has his first successful basketball game as a Tree Hill Raven, and as a result, Nathan becomes jealous and starts hazing Lucas. Nathan and several other teammates seal Lucas's clothes, resulting in a nude Chad Michael Murray carrying two basketballs to cover up his nudity, which was responsible for my sexual awakening. <laughs> Wait, where was I? Okay, sorry. So Nathan and several other teammates seal Lucas's clothes, soak his locker with water, trash the river court, and even kidnap and dump him in muddy water. Throughout all of this, Nathan receives poor grades in school and decides to ask Haley to tutor him. At first, Haley is reluctant because Nathan is such a jerk, but she makes a deal with him. Haley offers to tutor him if Lucas never finds out, and Nathan leaves Lucas alone for good. Meanwhile, Peyton finds out Lucas submitted her art to Thud Magazine. The editor asks her to change the content, but Peyton decides to submit it so she doesn't sacrifice what she truly believes in. Karen also faces a challenge in this episode. She stands up to the judgmental booster moms who think they're all still in high school. Karen ultimately decides to let go of her past and burn her old high school cheerleading uniform at Tree Hill's annual Burning Boat Festival. And in a sexier plot development, Brooke makes moves on Lucas by hiding in the back seat of his car, clad in her leopard bra, and spelling out her favorite sexual position in a paper fortune teller, letting us viewers wander with our imaginations. Looking for a beaded bracelet in my Cracker Jack box, I'm Caitlin Illinich. And holding two basketballs to cover my nudity, I'm Jeremy Rodriguez. This episode is named after a song called Are You True? by the new Amsterdams. And I thought this song connected with the episode. Basically, what I think the song means is kind of staying true to yourself. And we see that in the episode with several of the characters. Karen's kind of reconciling her past, and Peyton is trying to figure out who she is as an artist. What did you think, Jeremy? Well, first off, I didn't think the song was that good. I thought it was kind of one note. Did you listen to it? Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of the song. Yeah, just <laughs> just to reiterate that, I was honestly trying to like trying to extrapolate something from it, and it was it was kind of difficult because again, I wasn't into the song. But I read the lyrics, and the lyrics that really resonated with me were "The offer is fair, it's up in the air to drop. Are you true? Do you know where the world's going to go?" And I think that's just about the overall uncertainty that people are um, thinking with this episode, like Lucas with his future with the basketball team. And Peyton and her artwork, just like basically everything you said. So I feel like those particular lyrics really resonate with me on um, extrapolating the meaning from this episode. Yeah, and also Haley trying to figure out whether she wants to tutor Nathan or not. That too, yeah. So I feel like it it applies to the characters, but yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of the song either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, the new Amsterdam's. Hopefully you're not listening. <laughs> <laughs> So, let's talk about two basketballs, one Chad Michael Murray. (laughs) 
my favorite viral video. <laughs> oh, that scene is so funny. And I forget, honestly, that it happened so early in the series. <laughs> oh, I remember it vividly. Trust me. <laughs> because teen Jeremy, and let's be honest, 29-year-old Jeremy, has rewound that scene several times. I am just <laughs> saying. <laughs> it's a good scene. <laughs> yeah. That's the end of the episode. Can we just, you know, that's all we need to talk about. <laughs> But at the same time, it was pretty awful how they were hazing Lucas throughout this entire episode. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. It's just, like, cringeworthy. Like, it was awful. I mean, they even kidnap him at one point, throw him in water, and you don't even see these players get any... They're not disciplined at all for doing this. It's like, no, none of the adults know. Whitey never knows. Seems to find out and, you know, punish the team. The adults do know, I think, but they're just so dismissive of it. Like, Whitey even sees Lucas come out with the basketballs both in front of him and the back of him. And he just makes a joke saying, and I was just getting used to low-rise jeans. I'm like, aren't you a little bit alarmed that one of your students is naked and doesn't have his clothes? Like, did Lucas just not tell him? Like, oh, no, it's fine. I just lost my clothes. I feel like Whitey should be a little bit alarmed, especially if this has been going on for several years. I feel like it's irresponsible for him not to know. Yeah, because Jake mentioned that all the new players seem to get this treatment, but I still think it's probably more extreme with Lucas just because of the whole tension between these two brothers and all of that backstory. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> So it has to just be worse with Lucas, honestly. And then not just Whitey, too, but Keith dismisses the hazen as well. He just says, show them what you're made of. Like, be a man, stand up to them. And I'm like, this is something you should be reporting. Definitely. You should report this. Like, you know, fuck the whole, like, guys will be guys then. You need to report this. To hold Keith accountable, though, he does apologize. Um, After the river court is destroyed, he says, maybe they should be held accountable. He doesn't even say it in those words, though, so I don't know. I think Keith could have done better in this situation, too. Yeah, and they, they destroy the river court, and Lucas is the only one who's cleaning it up. It's just kind of bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, are there, like, park people who can clean that up? I guess not. You would think. Because, like, the whole basketball, like, the net and everything was, like, partially collapsing. It's pretty crazy all of that happened in a short span of time in this yeah. episode. It's just really shitty, but, yeah. We're anti-hazen here at Always yes. and Forever. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. But I do like that Lucas attempts to stand up for himself. He he essentially snaps during practice, tries to steal the ball from his team. And even though Nathan agrees to stop Hayes and Lucas because of an agreement he made with Haley, which we'll talk about later, Lucas still gets to tell him off. He still says, like, I don't care what you do to me. So I kind of mm-hmm. like that he still got to he still got to get the final word, even though at that point there already is a conclusion. So as far as we know... Lucas still believes that he got the final word in this situation. Lucas said to Nathan that he's going to beat Nathan's scoring title. So he's pretty much challenging him and is not letting all of this hazing get him down or prevent him from succeeding. Which I think that shows how strong Lucas is. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I feel like there should have been some parental involvement or adult (laughs) involvement. Yeah. I'm just saying, this would not fly today. <laughs> no. I feel like school administrations are much harder on bullying nowadays, and rightfully so. It's great. So. Yeah, definitely. 
I'm just saying, if you are a high school basketball coach, or if you're a coach in general, an educator, whatever, if you, if you know of this sort of thing happening, please speak up about it. Because it's screwy. Cool. I'm going to get off of my soapbox, though, and get into Lucas's car right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about Brooke and everything she does in this episode. So, whether I agree with this scene or not, it is still iconic. And you, you know I'm going to have issues with this scene. <laughs> I feel like I know what you're going to say, but keep going. <laughs> Here we go. One of the first examples of over-sexualizing teenagers. Exhibit A. <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely re- gratuitous for teens. That's, I think, problematic, but it is an iconic Brooke Davis scene, so it's also kind of funny at the same time. <laughs> it's classic, yeah. Like, we can't deny how classic it is. Like, what it happened in 2020? No, and it shouldn't happen. I mean, this shouldn't have happened in 2003 either. So, it's, it's a clarify, but it's still classic, and I still love it. I can't help myself from loving it. <laughs> It sets up the stage here, and we're we're left wondering what's going to happen. Like, you see Brooke and Lucas throughout the episode, a few shorter scenes, but this scene in itself makes you wonder, <laughs> yeah. what's going on with these <laughs> two? And um, one thing I have to do a little call out for, though, and, you know, this is some behind-the-scenes trivia here for Always and Forever, and behind-the-scenes trivia for you, too, Caitlin, because I didn't even tell you this. Ooh. Um I was going to make this my intro. I said, sitting naked in the back of your car, I am Jeremy Rodriguez, but decided against it because I was like, hmm, I don't think this sounds as good if a man says it. But then again, if you flip the genders, I don't think anybody should be saying it because let's think about it this way, and I'm not going to dwell on this too much. Yes, it's an iconic scene, but at the end of the day, she still broke into his car without his consent, got naked, and... That's something that needs to be unpacked a little bit. I think you have a valid point there, that if a man were to do that, it would not fly. It would be sexual yeah. harassment immediately. Yeah, and it shouldn't be It shouldn't be okay even if a woman does it either, like, no. let's be fair. So, again, I'm not going to dwell on that too much, so I'm going to, I just wanted to point that out. Cool. We're not going to delve too much into the problematic points in this episode. <laughs> I don't think there are too many problematic issues in this yeah, episode luckily. anyway. <laughs> Well, oh wait, one problematic moment I gotta talk about, the exchange between Brooke and Peyton when she was basically detailing everything that happened in the car. I did like that Peyton called her, okay, you're a slut with mittens. It's not that I'm like for using that word to describe each other, but I'm saying like if it's part of your dynamic and it's like you know being playful and like Brooke's okay with it, then it's great. And it seemed like Brooke was okay with it. Yeah, that is kind of their banter a little bit, at least in the early seasons. Yeah, definitely. So... I was fine with that. Um, I don't like how Peyton insinuated that Lucas was gay because he had the audacity to drive Brooke home, said goodnight, and waited until she got inside. Oh, I didn't catch that. When did she say that? Well, she doesn't say it in those exact words, but Brooke tells Peyton, she said, he waited until I got inside, he said goodnight, and drove me home, and then that's when Peyton's like, maybe he's gay. And then that's when Brooke's like, I don't think so. I think he's just nice. And it just makes it kind of sad that that's what Peyton automatically goes to. But you can't really blame her, in a way, because she's with Nathan and he's he treats her so terribly. She's coming from that perspective, you know? Yeah, it, it might not be so much a commentary on, like, gay people. It might just be a commentary on Peyton. It's definitely generalizing men. 
Yeah, but I think that's, that's just Peyton's sure. experience. That's just Peyton's experience with men, and so I feel like it's it's more indicative of her experience rather than homophobia. So I feel like I can see both. I think both can be true, personally. But there is um, another scene where Brooke whips out a fortune teller, a little paper handmade fortune teller, which I used to make all the time in elementary school. Everybody used to ask me to make them for them. Anyway, not to brag. <laughs> <laughs> But anyhow. I remember the fortune tellers, and I remember making the fortune tellers, but not this kind of fortune teller. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite number? What's your favorite sexual position? And Lucas is like, what? And she's like, I'll use mine. Did you try to figure out what she spelled? I did, but I I didn't feel like figuring it out. I, for a second there. How many, letter, I, how many letters was it? <laughs> it is 10. I have options, and I'll present them to you. So, there are quite a few. There is Zoggy Style, but only if it's spelled with a Y. The Pretzel Dip. The Golden Arch. And there are two forms of self-pleasure, which, you know, could be really cool and empowering for Brooke to do. There is the Circle Perk, and then there is the Couch Grinds. <laughs> However, I am pretty sure that Brooke picked one of these two. Missionary. Because I like the thing, yeah, Brooke tries to present herself as being all sexual, but she actually does like it to be intimate a little bit. So I think she chose missionary. Or the other option would be woman on top. Wow, you really dug deep. (laughs) This was important. I had to do this for work. I don't know if I want to air that. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to explain what the positions are or anything like that. You can use Google for that. I don't know some of those, so... (laughs) I didn't even look into them. I literally googled sexual position 10 letters, and nothing came up. I just had to, like... I just had to search through a bunch of different Um, positions. I'm like, okay, this has 10 letters, this has 10 letters. So, yeah, I did did some work for this. But, anyway. (laughs) Also, that scene takes place in English class, which was the same English teacher from the previous episode. And I just have to call out, who is in this English class? I know, I feel like every time they're sitting different spot in different spots and with different people. Yeah, like, Brooke wasn't there last time, was she? No, because they just showed Peyton and Nathan and Lucas, and that's when the yeah. fight broke out in the last episode. It was weird. Conveniently, they're all in the same class. <laughs> For storytelling purposes, yeah, great. What did you think of the scene at the Boat Burning Festival, where Brooke walks up to Luke and says... Hey, Luke, are you my date tonight? And then Luke answers, Brooke, you don't have to act like this. What did you think of that? I feel like a lot of assumptions were being made in that particular scene. Like, Lucas was assuming that Brooke wanted sex, I guess. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I had mixed feelings about the whole thing because I feel like they were trying to imply that there's something wrong with being sexual. And whatnot. So I don't know. I thought like Lucas was kind of low key shaming her. I don't really see it like that. I don't think. I see it as a scene that's trying to portray Lucas as a good guy and that he's going to be different than other guys that Brooke has been with in the past. I think that, that is what the scene's showing. Yeah, I think that's another. Yeah, I think this is another example of how both could be true in that way because Lucas is just sort of saying that, like, you don't have to do all this work to impress me. You could just be you. But at the same time, like, what if this is Brooke? Like, you know, and it's it's okay if that is Brooke, you know? That's what I'm saying. I have mixed feelings. I feel like both could be true. Throughout the whole episode, she is, I think she's trying a little too hard to be yeah. 
sexual. And I think she's going, I mean, I don't think we can disagree about this, but she's going over the top. (laughs) (laughs) Being in the backseat of the car (laughs) as the one example. She really is. A little bit. So I think Lucas is just pretty much saying, you know, you don't have to do, like you already said, you don't have to do all this work to impress me or to, you know, date me even. Yeah. I think that's definitely what the writers intended. And this is me just trying to extrapolate more of a 2020 perspective into the whole thing, you know? Yeah. Again, both can be true, depending on your worldview, you know? Yeah, definitely. But but otherwise, I really like Brooke in this episode. (laughs) Yeah, she brings, like, the humor, I think, too, (laughs) to this episode. Because this episode is not funny. (laughs) (laughs) She, She brings the comic relief to the episode. For oh sure. yeah, definitely. But yeah, I like that she's getting a little bit more screen time. Mm-hmm. Um because she's just enjoyable to watch. Same with Haley. Yes. You're absolutely right. Let's talk about Haley now. <laughs> I really love Haley's character. And you really are getting a glimpse at who she is because she really was hardly in that previous episodes. Mhm. And she was mainly just in the cafe in all of those episodes. So now we're seeing her outside of the cafe as well. One example would be tutoring Nathan. So we'd see her in the tutoring center. We see her at the Burning Boat Festival, where one of her students comes up to her. That scene was so cute. Yeah, it was really cute. (laughs) Because Lucas was like on his high horse because he just won the game and everything. And everybody was like, you know, cheering him on. And then somebody actually comes up to cheer Haley on. He thinks it's about him. And I just, I just love that so much. It's making Lucas a little bit humble too as well. It was nice to see like what Haley's interests are. Mm -hmm. We don't really know the character at all, who she is. So clearly tutoring or teaching is something that she really enjoys. So... Now Nathan is being brought into the mix. Their first scenes together. Yes. Haley has to make some tough, a tough decision in this episode on whether or not to tutor Nathan. Because she knows all that's going on with Nathan hazing Lucas. So now she has to determine, like, is she going to help another student who really needs her? Or if she does do that, is that going to cause a conflict with her best friend. So she really is in a difficult place in this episode. Yeah. Do you think she should have just been transparent with Lucas? I think so. That scene at the very end of the episode when he notices the bracelet, and we'll get to that in a second, but he notices yes. the bracelet on her wrist, mm-hmm. and then he asks where she was that morning. It's like, oh yeah. my god. <laughs> and she's making a big point for Lucas not to find out. Like, if I was Haley in that situation, I would just say, like, hey, I, I have to tutor Nathan. It sucks, but it's part of my job. That's really what it is. It's part of her job. But like, I don't think Lucas would hold it against her for and first something off, like that. How would a student be the one to decide? Don't you? Wouldn't you just get assigned like someone to tutor? Yeah, yeah, you're right. And then Haley's <laughs> like, I, I mean, I would imagine like if it's like a conflict of interest, like if there's somebody you don't get along with, you could just reject. I would imagine. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it's like for the tutor and hierarchy. They're just making it out to seem like Haley's the head of the center. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> but I think it's worse that Haley's keeping it a secret. Well, we would not have drama if she did not keep it a secret, Jeremy. So <laughs> I know. <laughs> we have a WBT drama. I get it. And I'll get over it. <laughs> but when they keep the secret, they decide to go to the dock to tutor instead of at the tutor and center to uphold the secrets. And then 
Nathan brands a box of Cracker Jacks. And how familiar are you with Cracker Jacks, Caitlin? I am not familiar. I have not had Cracker Jacks in forever, like since I was a little kid. Oh, I love my I love my Cracker Jacks. Sponsor us, Cracker Jacks, if you want to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know you need help. <laughs> you you need help sponsoring your brands. <laughs> anyway, so Nathan whips out a bracelet from the Cracker Jack box and says. Don't say I never gave you anything after he puts it on Haley's wrist, and Haley's like so not into it. Iconic scene number two. Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> but um, I did a little bit of research because I was like, I've eaten a lot of Cracker Jacks, but I've never gotten a beaded bracelet <laughs> in any of my Cracker Jack boxes. For our generation specifically, there was only like little um paper prizes. That's what I thought. Yeah, with, like, stupid stuff like word searches and things like that. It's, like, these little tiny little paper prizes. That's the most we got. And nowadays, if you buy a Cracker Jack box right now, as of 2016, I don't know if it's changed, they now have um, QR codes. To what? (laughs) They link you to four baseball-themed games. So it's, like, Cracker Jacks for the 21st century. Oh, my God. Are you serious? (laughs) Yes. I don't even think in 2003 you were getting beaded bracelets because we would have been eating them as a kid even younger than that so we've been like where's my bracelet so mm-hmm. it's sad um i can tell you that way back in the early days of cracker jacks they used to give out watches watches yeah wow that's expensive if you still have them today you can actually get a lot of money for them those exact watches, apparently. Wow, this is crazy that you have all these facts about Cracker Jacks. <laughs> yeah. Another thing they used to sell in the early days, too, they used to sell baseball cards. And I don't know exactly who they were of, but there's these two baseball cards. And according to richcompany.com, those baseball cards go for 125000 Oh my gosh. Why do people want them? I don't know. But I'm just saying, if you have, like, old prizes from your Cracker Jack box, you could be sitting on a gold mine, kids. You really could be. <laughs> Maybe not so much kids. The older our older listeners would probably get that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think definitely QR- not QR codes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, I was very fascinated with that, piece of, with that piece of trivia, so I had to look it up. And you were welcome. I love it. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> so, Peyton's storyline in this episode really continues from the last episode because it involves her artwork and she finds out that Lucas submitted her art to Thud Magazine and she has to make some decisions in this episode too. First she has to decide if she wants to actually take a meeting now with Thud and I'm very proud of her for taking that meeting because I think her art is really good and she needs to show it to the world. Definitely. At first she's, she's mad at Lucas for submitting the art but then she kind of realizes that, hey, let me maybe give this a chance. Yeah, I like how she swallowed her pride a little bit. Because even though she was like really mad at Lucas, she just said like, okay, let's take advantage of this opportunity just to see like what it can give me. And let me tell you, I've done that with like job interviews too. You know, even if you're already employed and you're like happy with your job, if you get an interview, just go to it. To see what's out there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, who knows? Like, maybe you are happy with your job, but who knows? Maybe the new job will give you something better. So I think that's just like good advice to just take into your everyday life. And I feel like that's exactly what Peyton did. So she was ahead of her time for 17. 
And the, the editor said he wasn't expecting someone so young to be submitting their art. Oh, I love that so much. I love when he asked her, where did you say you studied? And then Peyton's like, my bedroom mostly. <laughs> So that, I just thought that was yeah, so cute. That really shows her level of talent. I didn't like how the editor wanted her to change her drawings, essentially, to make them... What was the word he used? Make them... Happier. Just, like, happier. Like, something yeah. along that, yeah. Wish fulfillment. I think that's what it was, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah that was Wanted it to be wish fulfillment for readers. You could tell right away that's not what Peyton wants to be drawing. <laughs> At all. And I love how he said, like, I, I want it to be happier, more vibrant. And she's like, like a cheerleader. And he's like, yeah, just like that. And that's him making assumptions about cheerleaders in general. And that's why Peyton, like, grapples with the decision to, like, do I change my art? Do I keep it as is? And I love when she goes up to the editor at the end. She says, 95% of the time, there isn't a moral or a victory or a silver lining. Take it or leave it. And then the editor is like, and if we leave it, and then she says, if you leave it, you miss out on that other 5%. So powerful. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and in the end, they accepted her art. So I think that's going to give Peyton some confidence moving forward. We shall least. see. I am yeah, excited. I so. so I like that Peyton stood up for herself in this episode. Much like Karen did with the Booster Moms. There were some good scenes with the Booster Moms, <laughs> I have to say. I loved it so much. You could just guess that something was going to happen at that first meeting. <laughs> and sure enough, Sherry, I think her name is. I think that's yeah. Tim, I think that's Tim's mom. It is Tim's mom, yeah. yeah. I think she she said it in this episode. But yeah. spoiler alert, if she didn't, this is Tim's mom. <laughs> Which you, you only hear it like a few times. Yeah. Throughout the series. But she would. She would tell Karen the wrong time. And I just yeah. oh, that, Well, she that, said six-ish. Uh, Honestly, what does that mean when you say six-ish, five-ish, whatever? Like, how are you supposed to take it? I would literally think six-ish, okay, six. Yeah. Six, six-fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> at the latest. And then she's like, we start at five sharp. That got under my skin so much. <laughs> like, it just shows how these women are living in the past. Yeah. And then they start to get on Karen right away about having Lucas. It's just... Bizarre. I feel like there's so much class privilege in this entire conversation that's happening. They're like, oh, like, he's going to have a higher position now. Isn't that unfair for the people who have always been on the team? And then I'd be like, um, your kids just seem to be better. Karen actually says, because he's good. Like, that's why he's <laughs> getting the, the yeah. best position. At first, when I watched this, I'm like, I don't know. This seems unrealistic that these women were still living in their high school world all these 17 years later. Yeah. But then I start to think about that, and I think of our high school reunion that we went to recently. <laughs> People, yes. I feel like this is a really good connection because- <laughs> Please talk about it. We went there, and it was a good time. So if you're hesitant about going to your 10-year reunion or whatever reunion, go. Yeah people yeah we ended up talking to people who we never thought we would talk to <laughs> honestly and it was great it was really great so yeah i got to talk the people i did talk to were fun to talk to very pleasant yeah. but you could just tell certain people were just the same as they were in high school and the ones 
that ignored you in high school still ignore you now. Exactly, yeah. There was a lot of people there who were like, they weren't necessarily our friends by any means. But you still knew them back then. Like, enough to say hi. And like, nope, they completely ignored. I mean, I guess we could have done better too and actually walked up to them. Like, let's be fair. But come on, there were plenty of moments where we shared eye contact and people would just like look away. Like, nope, nope, I don't see you. I don't see you. (laughs) And we're pretty approachable people, by the way. So. So as I finished the episode, I started to think about that. And I'm like, this is true. People do stay in their bubble. Yeah. And I feel like that's life. Yeah. Granted, that was our 10-year reunion. So like, who knows? I don't know. I feel like 17 years after graduation, those people will probably still be the same. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think it'll be that much different. I wonder if like any of our old, um, the old alumni from our high school are listening to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Hey! Hey there. They'll be like, they'll be like, are they talking about me? <laughs> You'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. But yeah, that's that is very, very true. Um I do love when Karen said, Well, Sherry, you're the same petty little bitch that you were in high school. Yep. It was just cool. And I get it, it's pitting women against each other. But I still can't stop myself from just loving this dynamic. I just think it's good. It's just so cool. I love seeing Karen get angry. And she she's always usually in the right, you know? Yeah. And she calls out what she sees. Just mm-hmm. like in the pilot with Dan, you know? How she stormed oh, yeah. in there and kind of put him in his place. This is what she did with the booster moms in this episode. So Oh, totally. She always stands up for her kid at the end of the day, and I feel like Mm -hmm. that's very admirable. So, actually, I take back what I said about pitting women against each other. At the end of the day, she's defending her child, and that is great. And defending herself as well. So, you know what? Like, that's not petty at all. It's Sherry and the other booster moms who are petty. She went in there, you know, trying her best, giving it a shot to go to that meeting, and these women just start on her right away, criticizing Mm -hmm. her. I also like how the end, at the Burning Boat Festival, she decides to burn her cheerleading uniform. I think that says a lot about, like, her moving on. Mm-hmm. And she runs into Sherry again and says something along the lines, deal with the person I've become. And that just goes back to how these women are treating her like she's still 17. Like, they're all still 17 in high school, in that world. But no, they're yeah. so much older now, and they should treat each other like who they've become. So I think those are wise words from Karen. Oh, definitely, yeah. That is true, too. Like, yeah, Caitlin and I know we talked shit about the people who never did change. But the people we did talk to changed a lot for the better. And we were so proud of them. Like, we we keep reflecting on that all the time. We're like, wow, like, you're so much... I don't want to say better, because I don't want to imply that they were worse back then, but they're just really good people now. Like, people can change. Yeah. As much as people... Can't change. Yeah. Those are wise words, Jeremy. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Sometimes I can say something insightful. But let's talk more about the Burning Boat Festival. Um, for one thing, how is this safe for the environment? <laughs> I don't know. They create a boat like that every year? Do you have to like get approval for the certain things that you burn? Because there could be like flammable items in there. Didn't we see Karen just throw her cheerleading uniform in? Like, she didn't need it to be approved or anything like that? What is stopping somebody from, like, 
throwing something really dangerous in there. I'm just yeah, saying. Like an explosive or something. Like, what if you're a recovering alcoholic and you throw, like, a bottle of vodka in oh there? My that gosh. would be dangerous. Well, maybe they had limits and everyone knew about it prior to coming with their items. <laughs> Hopefully. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's... I don't think it's a good idea at all. I get the symbolism behind it, but... Yeah, I like the symbolism behind it. I was thinking about it more than I feel like I've ever thought about it in the past. Oh, yeah? It really does symbolize everyone kind of shedding their past Mm -hmm. and moving on. In a way, I could see it being like a really good feeling to like throw your old shit (laughs) in the boat, burn it, and feel like... Okay, now I can move on to the next chapter, or I can let go of that negative thing in my past, whatever it is. And totally. a lot of the characters are dealing with their pasts so far in the first three episodes. Mm-hmm. I, so I think, I think it is a good symbol. I don't agree with the environmental aspect of it, but it is a good symbol. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought we would be talking about um, how things are bad for the environment in this podcast. But you know what? If you have to call it out, you have to call it out. Uh-huh. Also, I just want to pay a little tribute to Red Langer. What? Caitlin's just staring at me right now. <laughs> Red Langer, I'm just saying, R.I.P. What? I just want to keep looking at your, like, really weirded out face, because I'm just, this is really enjoyable. So when Whitey opens the ceremony, he says, Usually the master of ceremonies of this deal is Red Langer, but, uh, well, Red died. So what are you gonna do? And that's it. And then he does the ceremony. Who is Red Langer, and why is his death treated as such an afterthought? You're killing me over here right now. (laughs) I didn't even pay attention to that. I did, like, on my third watch of this episode. I'm like, who the, who is that? Oh, that's great. I googled Red Langer, nothing came up. I'm like, maybe there's, like, some type of significance for this? There is not. Huh. I wonder if it had to do, like, with some of the writers. Like, maybe it was a real person that died, they wanted to pay tribute or they're thinking of people who have colors as their names oh red langer okay he died now we're gonna move to whitey <laughs> <laughs> who is red langer i don't know but i just want to pay tribute to him because i'm sure he was a he was a nice man if anyone knows please email us at always <laughs> at gmail.com thank you <laughs> somebody's gonna email us and be like you know this is actually named after me <laughs> Or named after my grandpa. I don't know. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) But that made me laugh. And ironically, that was not one of my favorite moments of the episode. (laughs) Which is a good transition point. Should we talk about our favorite moments? Yes. Cool. What was your favorite quote? My favorite quote was Brooke's line. So she's naked in the back of the car. And she says to Lucas, how many moments in life can you point to and say, that's when it all changed? Oh, that's cute. I feel like it's so true. Think back on your life. How many moments can you really point to and say, that's a moment that changed me? Mm-hmm. And the point that Brooke was trying to make in that was that Lucas's first successful basketball game was a defining moment for him. Yeah. And how he will perform on the team. So it's really relevant to Lucas in this episode. But also, I like that quote just... In general, it really resonates with me. And I feel like it's also a 
Brooks said that line because I feel like a lot of the dynamics of the show are starting to change, too, in this episode. I mean, think about the whole thing with Ethan and Haley. Karen's also starting to change her life and everything like that, but I mean, I don't think that's as like prevalent for, the, for where the series goes. But I think specifically, everything with Nathan and Haley, everything with Lucas and his rivalry with Nathan, like a lot of things are going to start changing now. And I think it's also, and this is no spoilers, but this is also what the show's about. It's about defining moments in these characters' lives and how it changes them and propels them forward in making decisions. Yeah, totally. Also, I gotta, um, I gotta point this out, too, because that's just making me think about, like, that's when it all changed. Um, let's keep in mind, this episode takes place immediately after the end of episode two. Yes, I did write that down. That was actually my first note. We just never really got to it. Yeah, I wrote that down, too, and I didn't get to it. We just organically got to it. Um, I just think that's really cool, because, you know, in the previous episode, Lucas was choking, and now he has his confidence. Yeah. So I think that's very telling as well. It's true. So, Jeremy, what was your favorite quote? Don't say I never gave you anything. (laughs) Nice. And I feel like that's all I can say about it. Yeah, I feel like it is. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So moving on, what was your favorite musical moment? So I like the song Stones by Pete Francis, and this played during the scene where Haley goes to Nathan's house and offers to tutor him. To be honest, I didn't really like the music in this episode. It didn't really stand out to me. It was kind of lackluster, wasn't it? It was really lackluster. So I had a hard time pulling a song that stood out in my mind. And this one was my favorite, even though I don't absolutely love it. It was just like you you had to pick it. Yeah. Unfortunately. Honestly, I just like the beat of the song. Yeah, there wasn't like anything that really stood out in this episode. I feel like that's different for One Tree Hill because I feel like I always equivocate a song with a scene. And this one I really couldn't. I had to rewatch and try to find the song. I know, I had to go back. Yeah. I was more than halfway through the episode, and I'm like, there actually hasn't been a song that stood out to me yet. <laughs> so this is kind of odd. And there's always yeah. a song that stands out to me. Yeah, I had to like rewatch it. I'm like, because I looked through my notes, I'm like, oh crap, I didn't pick a favorite song yet. I'm like, I guess I gotta find one. Yeah. So what was your favorite? But luckily I did find one. Mine is Silence is Easy by Star Sailor. And that played during a montage. It's the scene where Peyton gets her R out of her locker, where it says they are not you. Karen's at the cafe. That's when Sherry is walking by. They give each other dirty looks. Haley and Nathan are also in class. And then you see Lucas cleaning the river court. And I just think it's just a good song that's high all of those separate scenes together. The lyrics are, you don't even know me. You all lie about me. And I just think that's very indicative of what all the characters are going through. I mean, there's Karen looking at Sherry. That's essentially her telling Sherry, you don't know me. Um, Peyton's getting the message, they are not you. Which, again, is saying, you don't know me. She's basically saying out the Thumb magazine, I think. Um, The whole dynamic with Haley and Nathan, which I think is pretty obvious. They don't really know each other, and Haley specifically has to get the benefit of the doubt. And then there's Lucas cleaning the river court, which I feel like is just a big fuck you to the team. You don't know me. So I just enjoyed that song and how it tied everything together. That's a really good connection. Thank you. But what would you say was your score for the episode? So I gave the episode, I feel like it's on par with the first two episodes. I still gave it a three out of five. 
beaded bracelets. Like, I don't have negative feelings against this episode, but it it's kind of the same to me as the pilot in episode two. And I have I gotcha. to say, I'm excited for episode four, because I think episode four is one of the first, like, really good episodes. <laughs> so I will say that, and that's all. <laughs> and I don't think it's a spoiler to reveal this right now, but in episode four, we get to meet Nathan's mom. I'm not going to say her name, because I don't know, maybe that could be a spoiler, but I think that's really exciting to say. We get to see that dynamic. I'm really excited for that, personally. I love her. But yeah, I pretty much agree with you, too. I don't think this episode is amazing. I think it's better than the first two, but still not the greatest. However, I would give it three out of five Cracker Jack boxes. <laughs> so you and I had the same theme. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> I think it's the best episode so far, but it's still not great, <laughs> you know? I liked some of the scenes in this episode, so that's yes. why I still give it a three. Like, I like some of the scenes, but it's not, like, an episode that I think back to and I get all the feels, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I think Brooke and Haley specifically really propel this episode forward. Yeah, We get to did. see more of them. I just love it. Always and Forever is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at AlwaysOTHpod. You can also email us at AlwaysOTHpod at gmail.com. That's always O-T-H-P-O-D. You can follow Jeremy Rodriguez on Twitter at RodriguezJeremy. You can follow Caitlin Illinich on Twitter at MissIReads. Outside of following our socials, the easiest way to support us is by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. That helps One Tree Hill fans, new and old, find us. Now, if you don't want future episodes of One Tree Hill to be spoiled for you, now is the time to turn this podcast off. Otherwise, stay tuned for the spoiler segment after the music ends. We'll We'll be be seeing seeing ya. ya. Welcome to the spoiler segment of Always and Forever. Once again, if you do not wish to have the series spoiled for you, consider this your final warning. Turn off this podcast right now. And spoilers. (laughs) 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 So first up, this episode sets up Brooke and Lucas as Brucus. I know. These are the first Brucus scenes. Which I'm very excited for. I'm mostly excited to see if I still ship them. Yeah. Because I said I'm pretty sure I said that before that I was team Brooke and Lucas as opposed to Peyton and Lucas. Late so all the way. You- Late all the way. <laughs> maybe you and I will like hash it out. Don't we'll fight see. me, Jeremy. Don't fight me. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I like Brooke with Julian better. Yeah. And honestly, as far as Peyton's concerned, I like Peyton with Jake better. Get out of town. I do. But I we'll really see do. If that lasts. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. I get you know. I'm, I'm a change person, so who knows? I don't not like them. We said that last time too. I yeah, don't I not like Peyton and Jake. I like them, but yeah, I'm a Layton forever. I got you. I got you. Love what you love. You know, <laughs> it's okay, and it's okay for you to be wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and what I love about. The first Bruca scene in this episode when she's in the back of the car, it instantly made me think about how in season five, 
she does the same thing with Owen. Yes. Did you think about that? I did. Um, but also something that I was thinking of. You know how you're talking about, like, if we flipped the gender, so it was a guy doing it? Owen does it to Brooke, too. Yeah. And Brooke instantly freaks out. Yes. Which, there is a double standard right there. There totally is. I remember her saying specifically, like, when I do it, it's sexy. You're a big, hairy dude. And, like, I don't think it's okay for any gender to do this. No, I don't think so either. But it made me think of how that that's used yeah. multiple times. And even Rachel does it in season three in the back <laughs> of Lucas's car. So you see it so many times. <laughs> she, does it to, she does it in season three. I still remember this line vividly. She's like, Sit naked in the back of someone's car. That's so last year. It's two years ago. <laughs> You're right. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> because on One Tree Hill, seasons one and two represent one school year. And then seasons three and four represent another school year. I always love that line so whoever, much. Yeah, whoever came up with that line. Wow. Good job. That was really clever. <laughs> but yeah, like there's a lot of callbacks to this particular scene. So I do like that they reference it quite a bit. But if we haven't made that clear already, we do not condone this. Yeah, please do not get naked in the back of someone's car. <laughs> I mean, do it if you are in a relationship where the person consents to it. That is, you know, that is completely safe and that is great. But don't just break into a stranger's car and get naked. Please. Don't do it. We're teaching lessons here on this podcast. <laughs> anyway. And then another scene that is revisited later in the series is Nelly's tutoring spot. I tried to look up where that's revisited, whether it's season eight or nine, and I could not figure it out. I couldn't find it. Yeah, I saw you put that in the notes. I don't remember, like, when it's revisited, to be honest with you. I'm not surprised that Nathan, it is revisited. Nathan takes her there. Really? You don't remember that? I don't, but refresh my memory. Am I making this up in my head? I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I have no idea, but... It was supposed to be a nice gesture, but I can't really remember what season it was. Okay. And I tried to do some research and figuring it out, and I couldn't figure it out. I'm sure it does happen. I don't doubt you for a second. I'm not going to cut out this conversation. We'll just tr- we'll just figure out if we're wrong later. <laughs> it just shows how how iconic of a scene it is. Yeah. I mean, we still remember it, and me pointing out the fact that my favorite line is, don't say I never gave you anything. That receives so many callbacks. And you definitely see that scene in flashbacks, too. Oh, Definitely. So yeah, I felt um, weird about saying that was my favorite line, because if you just watch it, and this is your first time watching it, you're like, what? What, what is this? I was watching it with my best friend just the other day, and as soon as Nathan said, don't say I never gave you anything, I was like, oh, and I started squealing. And then my friend was like, I, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand why he had to say that. Like, he's such a jerk. I don't get it. Yeah. Because this is our first time watching it. <laughs> so... So it's just funny, like, how your worldview can be different from that, but whatever. It's pretty obvious. It's an iconic line, and sets up the future for Nathan and Haley and their teen wedding. <laughs> Which we will get to much, much later. Ugh, not okay with it. Not okay with it. <laughs> no. And then what I also found interesting about this episode is that this is the first time you see the Burning Boat Festival, and you don't see it again. Until season nine. No one ever mentions the Burning Boat Festival. We never see it. There's never a hint to it until season nine. The second to last episode. Yeah, I have a vague recollection of it. Like, what's it, like, what happens that episode? Like, what do they burn? Do you remember? Brooke burns her 
childhood journal, and she kind of lets go of her past and says that she doesn't regret anything that happened. And I remember Skills also burns some old CDs. Haley also gives the speech, and it is the 93rd annual festival, so it's supposed to be 10 years later. Oh. Interested. Oh, wait, this is the 83rd for this episode? I didn't catch that. Yeah, it is. The timeline for One Tree Hill is weird. Can we just be honest about that for a second? It's weird. So, okay, seasons one through four, that's two years. Season five, that jumps forward four years, so roughly, that's six years. Seasons five and six, can we argue that seasons five and six is one year? I think so. Okay, so that's four, five, six. That's eight years right there. They also jump a year going from eight to nine, though. Six so, to seven. Or You're right, they do jump from eight to nine, too, but they do jump from six to seven. Six to seven, they jump 14 months. So confusing. Okay, so we're not going to get into that. We'll definitely talk about the timeline. <laughs> yeah. It's, later on, for sure. It's weird. I'm like, it's 10 years. I'm like, no, it's not 10 years. <laughs> Regardless. It has been 10 years later in their world. They are wrong, but we'll take their word for it. Well, Caitlin, the boat may have burned in this episode. But you know what will not burn? This podcast feed. <laughs> that is a terrible joke. I'm Hear just going to go with it, though. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> because we will be discussing season one, episode four, Crash Into You. Here is the episode description as read in our old One Tree Hill DVD sets. A party at Dan's Beach House, complete with basketball players, cheerleaders, and beer? Sounds cool. But things heat up when Nathan humiliates Lucas, then crashes Peyton's car and lets Lucas take the blame. We'll be seeing ya. ya.